Fear's an unavoidable part of human existence. It threatens to consume us and even paralyze us on sometimes an hourly, weekly, and even a monthly basis. Hi, this is Greg, one of the pastors here at West Valley Christian. We are taught that it is weak to show fear and that being a hero means knowing no fear, so we hide it. That isn't a healthy process. In this series, we will look at the familiar story of David and Goliath and see how God empowers us to deal with fear. We hope you enjoy. All right, good morning, West Valley Christian Church. You guys sounded so good worshiping our, our amazing God. Let's give it up for our awesome worship team. Uh, I so appreciate those guys. I, I, I don't know if you know, and to all of you online, just hello to, let's just shout out uh, hello to those of uh, you that are watching online from us here. Uh, we, are, we are on our 45th anniversary, 45 years. As Zach said, our, our student ministries director earlier service, he goes, I wasn't even alive for 20 years. Zach, yeah, whatever. But nonetheless, uh, when we're just, just so grateful for this, and I, I just want to just start off just you and I talking and having some fun here. Just know the morning has been full uh, in this way. Uh, we have been out on the lawn for nine plus months, and today is the very first time that we actually had to move the lawn service into our gym. So that just is so amazing that God's been faithful with all the weather, but man, with last week, all of our people being out there and the wind blowing and it was cold. This week, I show up at 7.30 this morning and trash cans are flying across the field. I'm like, I think we need to go inside. So I just want to give a shout out to our team for just making the last minute adjustments to getting inside the gym. And we had our very first service inside the gym, church service, in our history of 45 years. So I'm, we're just grateful for God and all that he's given us. And look around here in this room the faithfulness of, uh, of so many of you, and just seeing some faces I haven't seen in a long time. God bless you, and we are glad that you are here. Welcome home. Amen? Well, we are concluding a series, uh, Fear, as you see, Faith in Uncertain Times. Not that any of us would know what that is, right? I'm just saying for everybody else out there. But fear, faith in uncertain times. And, and there's a book uh, that Pastor John and I have uh, been using as a resource. It's called Slaying the Giant of Fear by Chrissy Nelson. And Chrissy Nelson writes this. Where are you in your journey with fear, my friend? Whether your toes are on the battle line for the first time or you have run away and returned over and over again, you need to know. Listen. You need to know there is freedom and victory over fear. There's freedom and victory over fear. Can I hear an amen to that? Like literally, we don't have to be paralyzed by fear. Even though, even though Christians out there are paralyzed by fear, non-Christians are paralyzed by fear. It seems like so many in our society and our world are paralyzed by fear. I want to give you this message that we don't have to succumb to fear. And some of you are like, why? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because we conclude this series here today. There is freedom. There is freedom over fear. Toes on the battle line. God-focused, not what? Giant-focused. Faith over fear. And, and we ask the question, well, that sounds really good, but how? And we've asked that question throughout this series. And we said we would give you three weapons. To overcome fear. The first weapon was obedience. 
Then last week, we learned that the second weapon is faithfulness. And today, the third weapon is stewardship. Can you say that with me? Stewardship. And so we're going to press into this topic of stewardship, which some of you already know are looking at me like, what does stewardship have to do with slaying the giants? Glad you asked. Let's pray. Father in heaven, it is good to be in your house. It is good to be alive. It is good to sing and be reminded of the truths that we even uh, sing out of, uh, out of our mouths. God, that, that you, you are bigger than anything that we walk through. You're not surprised. And God, I'm praying that you would help us to remember of your faithfulness to us and how we could be faithful to you, particularly with this topic of stewardship. Speak to our hearts. Help us to understand what it is that you desire for us to grab a hold of. God, where I'm weak, may you be strong. May we hear your words and not mine. I love you, God. We love you. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said? So we've been looking at a story, a very familiar story if you grew up in the church, and maybe it's not so familiar to, to some of you. And that, I'm so glad that you're here because you get to learn about this amazing story. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel 17, and so your homework's to go home and read it in full as we've just kind of been picking it apart over the weeks. But 1 Samuel 17, it's a story uh, about, and it starts off this way. We're introduced to the Philistines. Boo, right? They're the bad guys. And then we've got the Israelites, the good guys. And, and then we've got this battle line. And, and every day, these two groups would come to fight one another. And uh, we learned as we pressed in this story about really what happened. We know the Philistines are, are, are the ones that you want to put all your money on if you're vetting Vegas. I'm not saying that you should. I'm just saying that that's, that's, that's how it would roll out. I mean, they were heavy favorites. Then there's the Israelites that should have been strong because you've got God Almighty on their side. They've begged for this leader, a king, and, and they get King Saul, and he's a smart man, and he's a handsome man, and, and he's a big guy, the Bible says. But it says every time that they would come to this battle line, Saul and his army were terrified and dismayed. So fear lived in their hearts. And then you've got the, the Philistines, and, and they have this MVP, a soldier, warrior, and his name is? His name is? Goliath, nine foot, nine, big guy, and he would get on that front line, and he would taunt them, and the Bible says uh, for 40 days in the morning and the evening, he would just taunt them, and, and he, would, he would speak to that fear that was in their lives, and I asked the question of you today, uh, uh, the, the same question I asked four weeks ago, who is that giant in your life? All of us have giants in our lives that are taunting us, that are coming, uh, coming up to our, our, our front line every morning and saying, ah, you know, whatever it is, speaking fear. Uh, I know this. Uh, I had a couple of different meetings this week where people literally, one, one person literally said, I wake up in the morning wondering what's going to happen that day. Like what tragic thing is going to happen that day? And I, I thought to myself, that sucks to wake up that way. Amen. Like literally, we, if, if that's us, we wake up in the morning to fear and paralysis and what else is bad is going to happen instead of really what you and I ought to be waking up to is going, God, thank you for breath again. God, thank you that I get to see another sunrise. God, thank you for the opportunities of this day. But I get both sides. How about you? And so fear could really take us out of the game. We learned uh, uh, later on when Pastor John spoke, we were introduced to this young boy by the name of David. 
And David was a shepherd, right? And he was the youngest of all of his brothers and kind of uh, maybe looked down upon and even forgotten by his dad if you read uh, part of the history there. And we're not delving into that. But, but David is, is being obedient, right? And Pastor John talked about obedience, doing the right thing even when it's hard. Doing the right thing even when it's hard. And David was obedient to being a great shepherd. And then his dad asked him to be obedient and take lunch to his brothers on the battlefield, right? And we know that David was obedient and a great shepherd because he didn't just leave, but he left the sheep with another shepherd which tells me something about the character of David. He really cared about his sheep. But then we learned last week that it was obedience that took Saul to the battle line, right? He was obedient. We know that he was at the battle line. David was obedient. It got him to the battle line, but it was faithfulness that separated Saul and David. You see, at the battle line, fear overcame Saul's heart. But at the battle line, David remembered the God that saved him from the paw of a lion and a bear. Does that make sense? And that's what faithfulness is. Faithfulness is trustworthiness. It's loyalty. And God has been faithful to us. Amen? God is trustworthy. And you look at it as we celebrate as a church 45 years, there there have been many a giants that we have faced. And we have come up against that, 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 that Goliath that is, has voiced uh, fear into our lives. But praise God for the faithfulness of, of him because we are still here today. Amen? And in turn, we talked about being faithful to God. In response to his faithful to, to, faithfulness to us, we ought to be faithful to him. That means trustworthy and loyal to God Almighty, even when we don't understand. A- amen? And I think that was the difference between David and uh, Saul. Both obedient, but you could be obedient and not know God. You could be obedient and not know God. But faithfulness, where is that in your life? Where is it in my life? Which takes us to weapon number three, and that's stewardship. Stewardship. So if you're taking notes, write that down. Webster's dif- definition of, of stewardship is managing of something, managing of something entrusted to one's care. That makes sense, right? Stewardship is managing of something to, to, to one's care. So here's what we know about stewardship. A steward does not own, but a steward what? Manages. A steward does not own, but a steward what? manages. And, and again, I think some of you, if you're like me, you're like, what does this again have to do with the story of David and Goliath? And what does this have to do with uh, uh, overcoming fear? Well, I'm glad, I'm glad you're here because I'm going to press into that. But again, it is so important for us to understand this weapon of stewardship. But may I step back even one step back first before we press into this? I've always said from here, That for us to understand stewardship well, we first need to understand lordship. Before we understand stewardship, we need to understand lordship. You know, why, Pastor? Because if we don't understand who owns what, then we're not going to be a good steward of it. Are you with me? So, with that, let's look at scripture. Psalms uh, 24 1 and 2. Psalms 24, 1 and 2. 
Love hearing those Bible pages turn or those Bible apps open. We believe this is God's word, amen? This is God's word, and we get to read it. Psalms 24, 1 and 2. The earth is the Lord's, period. Boom. You see that? The earth is whose? Oh, but I thought it was my world, and you're living in it. Sometimes I act that way. And before you start pointing fingers at me, sometimes you act that way. It's my world, and you're living in it. And that's why we live and think and act the way we do. Because if we don't understand lordship, and then we think it's all ours, that's going to that's gonna create a lot of different actions that are not healthy in us. Amen? A lot of different emotions. See, I'm going to suggest that if we don't understand lordship and stewardship, that might be the source of a lot of our fear in life. Because that means we think we have control of all this stuff. And let me remind you that the scripture says this. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. This tells me God is in charge. God is in charge, not Washington. And sorry for those of us in California and those of you listening in other states, we would just say we need to be reminded that Newsom's not in charge. Garcetti's not in charge. Pastor Rob's not in charge. Can we hear an amen on that one? Because you don't want me in charge. I would do all of this totally different. Because I think a lot like some of you think, and you just don't have an idea of that. But I have to submit to the fact that God is in charge, not me. And I'm good with that. That's lordship. Luke 9.23. Open up your Bibles. Luke 9.23. Luke 9.23. This is significant. Jesus has, has been teaching and preaching, and the people are amazed and, and creating miracles and, 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 and creating and doing, performing miracles, and he's gathered this crowd. And there came a point in Jesus' ministry where he drew a line in the sand, and that's here in Luke 9.23. Jesus says this, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and then what? And then come follow me. You see, this is lordship. This is Jesus saying, I'm not here to have a bunch of fans, but I'm here for some followers. And, and the road is not going to be easy, but it's right. And, and, and if you're here just to see well, what, what, what miracle I'm going to perform or what cool word I'm going to share, that's not why I'm here. That's why I'm not going to die on the cross. What he's calling for is lordship. He's saying, I need to be number one. Amen, church? Are you going to make me Lord? Are you going to make me master? You see, when we understand that he is Lord, then all that we have is his and entrusted to him, and then we become stewards of it. And this is key. This is key to this message. Ready? When we function as a steward, not an owner, but when you and I function as a steward, we acknowledge our partnership with heaven. Right? It's like, God, you and I are in this. You own it all. You've entrusted me to manage whatever it is that I have. And now let's press forward together. Luke uh, chapter 14, verse 25. Luke 14. Still speaking a little bit more to this lordship before stewardship. Luke 14, 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning them. He said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother, 
wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, such a person cannot be my disciple, which means Christian. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And you're like, wait a second, Pastor Rob, I've been, I've been attending this church for a long time. And you say all the time that the church exists to help people to love God and love others. And yet Jesus himself just got done saying that if we don't hate our brothers and sisters, our mother and our father, our wife and our children, and even ourselves, we can't be a Christian. We've got a problem here. Do you see that? Do you see what I'm seeing? Well, one of the things that will help you is to understand this. Jesus is speaking to a Jewish uh, audience. And to, 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 uh, to uh, the Jewish audience, they're not going to hear hate like, like me. Like, I hate the San Francisco Giants. Sorry. I know I got some big Giants fans in the back. Sorry. By the way, first Dodger game is today, spring training. Just, just throw it in there. Some of you hate baseball, whatever. But, you know, I, I hate Brussels sprouts. I've said it. I've said it. If you put butter and bacon on something and it still tastes bad, come on. Like we went out with some couples last night for a birthday thing. And I know the one lady ordered Brussels sprouts just to spite me, just because she knows I didn't like it. And I could smell that. Hate. But Jesus isn't saying that about our, our mother and our father and our brothers and our sister. It's a Jewish context. And it simply means hate means love less. So it's not hate like you and I think, but it it means to love less. What he is simply saying is, I need to be number one in your life. And that's lordship. And that's a good question for us. I I would challenge you and I, if we're struggling slaying the giant, we need to start here. If Jesus isn't Lord, good luck slaying the giant. But when we make Jesus Lord, we put him in the equation, watch out world. Amen? And so some of us, even as Christ followers, we've kind of forgotten that. A little amnesia about who's in charge and who's not. God owns it all. He sent his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is Lord. Luke 14, 33, you continue reading on. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. And I know that's really crazy because I'm, uh, I'm young, I'm 18 years old, I'm studying this verse for the very first time, actually with one of the guys that he's back in town visiting. Steve Cook was in our service earlier. It was him and a guy by the name of Darren Skates, who was our youth pastor. They taught me what it means to make Jesus Lord. 18 years of my life, that wasn't a priority for me. Baseball was my Lord. Baseball was my God. That's what I, that's what I was consumed with. Sports. And they, they showed me these passages, and the, the one I just read, Luke 9, 23, they showed me Luke chapter uh, 14, and then this one. And I'm like, what does that mean? Well, I heard, I heard a good illustration many years ago. It's not true, but it, it makes the point, because a guy was struggling with this. What does it mean to give up everything? Does that mean I, I, I'm naked and I lay in the gutter, and that means I'm a Christian now? And so he's asking Jesus this, and Jesus says, well, let me help you out. He says, um, do, you, do you have a job? Dad goes, yeah, I have a job. Took his job away from him. Well, what are you doing? Like, where's my family going to live? Oh, you have a family. Took his family from him. Well, Jesus, you got my job and my family. What, 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 am I just going to live in a car? You got a car? Took it from him. Well, Jesus, you've got, you've, got, you've, got, you've got my job and you've got my family and you've got my car. and you got, you got everything except for the clothes on my 
he's standing there naked before the Lord. He says, Lord, you have everything. And Jesus says, yes, here's your clothes back. Remember, they're mine. Here's your car back. Remember, it's mine. Here's your family back. Remember, it's mine. Here's your house back. Remember, it's mine. Here's your job back. Remember, it's mine. Isn't that a great illustration? To really help us understand this concept of lordship. You see, when I stop fighting and trying to keep everything or gain everything and give myself credit for it, then if I could just take a deep breath and realize everything that I have is the Lord's. It takes a lot of pressure off. And then if you want to borrow my truck, here's my keys. I don't have to worry if it comes back with dents. It's his truck. If I have 1,000 people a year, which before COVID, we'd have almost 1,000 people a year at our house. And yeah, it, it, it would get thrashed, especially when we had the college group there for many years. But it's the Lord's, right? My family, when I want to hold on tight, I have to let go because it's the Lord's. My job. Does that make sense? This is... If we understand lordship, then it's going to help us understand stewardship because now we say, if that's the Lord's, then I get to take care of it as if it's the Lord's. Some people give me a hard time about my truck. That has nothing to do with Rob Denton's personality. It has everything to do with Rob's understanding of lordship. It really does. Because my truck, I keep it clean. Why? Because if someone wants to borrow, it's ready to go. Our house is clean 90% of the time. Why? Because we're anal that way? No. It's because at any given point, we may have people come over. Does this make sense? It's not bad to have stuff. It's if that stuff owns you. But if you have stuff and you understand it's the Lord that has given it to you, now you get to be a great manager and you get to let others use and participate in it to bring true glory. You or him. It's quiet in here. Is this making sense? I hope it does. Knowing this could stop fear in its tracks. Do you understand that? I think this has a lot to do with why fear works its way into our lives. Because again, all of a sudden, we think we're in charge. He is in charge of our money, our talent, our government, our house, our vehicle, our smartphone, our baseball bat. He's in charge. Which leads me to the third point. Stewardship slays the giant. Can you say that with me? Stewardship slays the giant. That should put a smile on your face if you don't have a mask on. <laughs> well, if you have a mask on, it should put a smile on your face. You just can't. I can't see it. Stewardship slays the giant. Do you want your giant slayed? I don't care how young you are or how old you are. I want my giant slayed, and I want your giant slayed. You see, First Samuel, uh, if you go back to chapter 17, uh, we, we left David at the battle line, and he says, let no one lose, in verse 32, let no one lose heart on account of the Philistine. Your servant will go. Your servant will go and what? Your servant will go fight him when no one else will fight. This little teenage boy with a rod in his hand is going to go fight this giant that's been intimidating you guys for 40 days, morning and evening. 
And the voice of fear was real. And we talked about that last week. Saul's older brother. Oh, you don't belong here. And then uh, our, our David's older brother. Then Saul said this, these three things. You are not able to, David. You are too young, David. And you are outmatched, David. And it would have been so easy for him to, to give in to the voice of fear. Yet we just hear and see that David said, I don't care. I remember God saved me from what? The lion and the bear. You've taken God out of the equation, Mr. Saul. The enemy likes to send these voices to throw us off track. Can you relate to this? David was God-focused, not what? He wasn't giant-focused. He knew God would give him the victory. But he didn't know how. He didn't know how. It was time, and listen to this. It was time for him to store the gifts and experiences that God had given him. You see, we all have different passions. We all are born with different talents. And as Christ followers, we're given uh, a gift or gifts, which is different than talents, and then we experience it. We put all that together, and you and I get to be stewards of that. We get to be stewards of our passion. We get to be stewards of our spiritual gift. We get to be stewards of our talents. And we get to be stewards of our experiences. Which leads me to this. David was able to go against the giant. Ready? Because of what was in his hand. And the God that was in charge of him. David was able to go up against the giant because of what was in his hand. And the God that was in charge of him. 1 Samuel 17, 38 and 39. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and bronze helmet on his head. David fastened his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. He says, I cannot, I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am, I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Can you see this? King Saul's like, finally, okay, I guess he's going to go. If he's going to go, I'm going to give him all this armor. David puts it all on. He's like, I can't walk. I can't move like this. Probably not in that accent. He takes it all off, right? He says, I'm going to rely on what God has already given me. My friends, that's very, very powerful for you and I to listen to right now. Don't look at what God has given your neighbor. Don't look at what God has given me. Don't look at what God has given your boss. Don't look at what God has given your enemy. Look in your own hand. What has God given you? And my friends, what God has given you is enough. Are you stewarding what God has given you? You see, you look down at David, and, and, and what, what had God given David? Well, he's a shepherd, so he's got a, he's got a staff, a pouch, and a sling. Everything that you'd want to go up against a nine-foot-nine giant warrior, right? Like, again, we're back to Vegas. You're losing that battle if you're David. But David's like, don't give me all that stuff. By the way, there's a whole nother sermon in that. The world is like Saul. They just want to give us all this stuff. That's not what we need. <laughs> it's not what we need. 
And David was smart. He took off all that stuff. And he says, I've got this, what's in my hand, and I've got a God that is faithful. And guess what happens? Well, if I look at my life, I've been outmatched many, many times. Many times. Going back to college when I hate school so I could become a pastor, which I don't want to be. Started a church in Chile. Never started a church anywhere, let alone in a foreign country. Medical clinics in Samoa. Leadership roles and, and things that I've been in that are so much bigger than me. My health challenges. <laughs> the upstairs. My insecurities. Leading a church during a pandemic. To mention a few jobs. Not ready for any of those things. Outmatched tremendously in all of them. But I keep going back and go, well, he helped me do a medical clinic in Samoa. Started a church in Chile. Finished Bible college. Yada, yada, yada knowing that I can't do any of that, but God is faithful. He really is, and he really can help you in whatever it is that you're facing, my friends. He's bigger than it. 1 Samuel 17, 41 through 51. Meanwhile, the Philistine, uh, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked, he looked David over and saw that he was a little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog? Yeah, no. Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David uh, by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give you flesh, your flesh to the birds and the animals. And so you can just see he's, he's furious and his, the veins in his neck are popping out. And this little shepherd boy who knows what he's thinking, but we do know because you look at verse 45, David says, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. The God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut your head off. This day the Lord will deliver you. This day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. I'll throw that back at you, big guy. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by the sword or the spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is whose? The battle is the Lord's. Whatever you're facing at this moment, let me remind you that God is in charge. The battle is yours and his together. And he has this. He has given you in your hand what you need. You put that in the equation plus him, and victory is yours. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. And all God's people said, and you read the story as it continues on. As the Philistine moved closer in verse 48, David ran quickly towards the battle line because he's crazy. Reaching into his bag and taking a stone out, he slung it, struck the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in his forehead and he fell face down to the ground. And guess who was victorious? God. God was victorious. Because a little shepherd boy couldn't do that. And then you continue reading the story, and you're going to see all the glory was given to God. And those people that were standing there in confidence behind Goliath ran like little babies back to their homes. I want that mindset in slaying my giants. How about you? 
as we conclude this portion of the sermon, I want to remind you that stewardship is what is in your hands, what is in your hand. Manage it to the best of your ability. Homework is to look at Matthew 25, 14 through 30, and to have God work through that verse, uh, those verses for you. As we wrap up this series, be God-focused, not fear-focused. Use your weapons, obedience, faithfulness, and stewardship. There's many ways to close this message, but because it's the 45th anniversary, I think we should give a big round of applause to our founding pastor, Glenn Kirby. And as I was thinking this through and how this day would look, you know, we do big, we do big events. Uh, we did a big 30th anniversary. We did a huge 40th. How many of you are at the 40th in the gym? Hundreds and hundreds of people. And so I pray that God will allow us to be here for the 50th. Amen, Pastor Kirby? And so um, 50th, we'll do a big, a big event. But we still want to tie this in today because as we talk about fear and we talk about faithfulness, and Pastor Kirby and I were talking about this this week, and I'm like, we got to get up on the stage and talk about this. They need to hear from the big kahuna. And, um, and so, and so um, Glenn, with this topic of fear that we've been talking about and knowing uh, about you and your wife, Carolyn, coming here with your two little kids, was there fear on the table for you at all? I mean, did, did fear play into starting this church at all? Rob, when you first asked me that question preparing for this, I didn't think that I had any fears. I had to think about where are those, but I found a few. And uh, just to share with you, uh, relating to the sermon today, uh, <clears throat> I was had some fear that I could fit in in California because I was raised in Missouri, a little town of 13,000. I went to Bible college at a school called Ozark Bible College. It sounds a little hicky. And then I preached in a, for five years. My first church was in Humboldt, Kansas, where there were 2,500 people in the entire town. And then Colorado uh, as youth minister and then came out to start a church here at West Valley. And Rob, uh, this is being honest, uh, the church in Colorado was about seven or 800. And so my goal was to find a church where I could go to that would be running about 500 to 1,000 and then take it up to about four or 5,000. I kid you not, that was my goal. What God said, no, that's a little too big for you. We're going to start you with a church of 15. And so that is how many were here whenever the church was started. First service was larger because they had a lot of outsiders that came in for the first service. And then there were 15 people. So, uh, yeah, I had some... Uh, some fears that I would be able to fit in in California. I was also fearful that I could take her my family out here because I was 28, Carolyn was 26. We had two preschoolers, three and one, and uh, we didn't have a house when we came out. We just came on out and uh, managed to have a house eventually, but we didn't know that was going to happen. There was a salary of... Uh, full-time that would go 18 months and then it would run out every month so much money would be taken off what we were paid so we had to grow and build the church in order to survive and they were serious because they will they said we cut you off of your finances if you don't make it then we just close the church so I was motivated but I was a little scared that could do that uh, 
we also, uh, because we didn't have any money for marketing or uh, advertising, all we could do was print a few flyers, print flyers, black ink and a colored paper, fold it in half, decide what you want on it, and then uh, the other people were working, so I was the only one that was available. So I went to 10,000 homes, door to door, not just passing out flyers, but knocking on every one of those 10,000 doors in the Canoga Park area. And uh, I felt like a Kirby vacuum cleaner salesman. <laughs> but at any rate, uh, the Lord took care of us. And uh, I'd never started a church before. Like, Rob, you said you hadn't started it a church before uh, the one in Chile. But uh, anyway, the, yes, I had some fears. I could tell you some more. I won't go into them all. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. And so 45 years. Uh, actually, I was just thinking about this, Glenn. It was five years ago where we announced the transition, literally, between you and I. So you were the lead pastor for 40 years here. Mm -hmm. So obviously, uh, we know that you pressed through fears. Mm -hmm. But how did you do that? What are some practical ways in which Glenn Kirby was able to press through some of those fears. Being totally honest with you, Rob, and with you, the congregation, and you there listening from wherever you are, that I begged God for his help at every step of the way. I'm very serious about that. When I knocked on each door of those 10,000 doors, I prayed and begged God that there would be someone on the other side of that door that would be interested, that would need the Lord, that would be willing to talk to me. Whenever we looked for a church, a permanent home for West Valley, you may not believe this, but we had 100 files, 100 filing files, file folders that uh, we looked at 100 different properties before we found the property here. And so uh, I, I prayed and begged God every time, would this be the one? Is this the one, Lord? Is this the one, Lord? But we couldn't give up until we found what God had for us. And then uh, just our visitors our guests that came to church, we, you know, Rob, you know this, a lot of you know this because I called a lot of you, that we followed up on those guests and uh, I begged God that this person would be interested, that they would be willing to talk to us, that they would be, be willing to consider what the Lord Jesus would have for them. So begging God was my method and it's worked every time. God answered every prayer he did. Isn't that awesome? Again, that's key to what we've been talking about. You put God in the equation because, yeah, I, I mean, we've walked this road together for over 30 years, and I've seen many of the giants uh, that you faced, and um, yes, begging God is good. Um, Glenn, what, 45 years, there's so much, but what are some highlights for you? What are some things that stand out to you um, as ministry highlights here at West Valley Christian Church for you personally? I'm excited to share all these, but this one especially. Uh, I'm excited about starting our Christian school, West Valley Christian School. In 1978, some of you may not know this, but some of the leaders wanted to have a school whenever they called me out to be the pastor here. And I said, I don't believe in having a separate school. I think all the kids need to go to public school. And if that's a condition, I will not come to this church to be your pastor. Well, the Lord changed my mind when I realized that the Christian schools were like the normal schools I grew up with, and the public schools were like, uh, well, hard, <laughs> shall we say. So anyway, we started the school. Busing was happening at that time. We started with 350 students. 
from preschool through the ninth grade. And uh, we had to do all of the, hire the principal, hire all the teachers, get all the books, get all the desks. Uh, we had to get permission from the city. We had to uh, change a lot of changes. We put I-beams in one building and it was unbelievable. I, I was 30 at that time. I didn't know you couldn't do something like this. <laughs> and so it was done. It was a miracle. As far as my count, I've estimated, I believe there are 20,000 students that have gone through West Valley Christian School in the 43 years of the school's history. <laughs> that was a miracle. Uh, other thing, Rob, I'm, I'm excited to work with the leaders of the church here through the years. Uh, that's a real highlight for me, the elders, the pastors, the church staff, the, the leaders, and also you, the congregation. It has been a, a fun ride, and it's not over yet, and so that has been a thrill. The uh, other thing that I would, uh, this morning, early, <laughs> I went through the 40th anniversary manual, and I looked at every name that's on that list, and I counted them all of new members. A lot of you are on that list. 3,367 new members, probably a little less than half baptisms and half that came from other places that were already Christians uh, to become members of West Valley Christian Church over the 45 years. And it was, it was really kind of moving to go through all those people. I praise the Lord for that. It's a highlight. The last highlight I would mention is, uh, the, you, Rob, you know I like buildings. <laughs> Not because I like buildings, but I like them because of ministry that can go on in the buildings. We've had five campuses. We've got Welby Way. We've got Hayden Street. We've got Highlander. We've got Anadia Way. And we've got Sherman Way. And so a lot of ways in there. And uh, they're all just tools. These have all been tools. This is just a tool to do the mission of making more disciples and stronger disciples because we love God and because we love people. Can I say one other highlight that I didn't use in the first service? All our staff have, have been great. But as far as Rob's concerned, it's been a pleasure, Rob. You've been a highlight to work with. Uh, sometimes you've been a pain for me. <laughs> Especially since I first met you when you were 18. And I was 30 or 35 anyway. So, uh, but I've watched you grow. And Rob is absolutely the right man of the hour for this season in the life of West Valley Christian Church. He's a multi-talented man of God. He's a humble man, but he, uh, he's a great preacher. He works great with people one-on-one. -on -one. He's a great counselor. He has a, a vision for the future that he sees readily. Um, uh, he's a, a good uh, manager of the staff and of the finances. And so... Uh, I am glad to work with them. It's been a real highlight. And so, anyway. Thank you for that. Um, any closing thoughts for this group um, today on this 45th anniversary? Absolutely. Please focus in with me here, Mike. Just last thought, scripture. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the Lord 
because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Start strong, finish strong. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14, I got that from someplace, that says, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, do everything in love. Last scripture, Revelation 2.10. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. Amen. Well, we want to thank Pastor Kirby for his obedience. We want to thank him for his faithfulness. And we want to thank him for his stewardship of what God has given you to allow us to be here today and, and ministry. Amen. For those of you at home, we've got everyone standing up here for uh, Pastor Kirby, which is well-deserved, and we are grateful. Thank you, thank you, thank you. What I would like to do, since you guys are standing, as we walk into a time of communion here uh, in the sanctuary, you at home, that um, Jesus was obedient, wasn't he? And he was faithful, and he was a steward at the cross. And we take these emblems at this communion time, the bread that represents the body and the, 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 the juice that represents the blood that was shared, all representing faithfulness stewardship and obedience. Will you remember those as you partake in the emblems here today? Let me pray for communion. Father, thank you. Thank you for the faithfulness of your son, Jesus Christ. And as we partake in these emblems, we, we acknowledge Jesus' obedience, Jesus' faithfulness, and Jesus' stewardship. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at wvcch.org or you can join us live in one of our Sunday services. Have a great day. You forget all.